This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a great day and you had a great weekend as well. Well, just imagine now traveling the world and seeing places you might only ever have imagined and getting to share those experiences with people who are as passionate as you are. Well, that's what Wayne Broomfield is doing. He's living a life that is the envy of many and presumably making a living at it. Broomfield, who's from the coast of Labrador, has visited some of the world's most remote locations as a tour guide and adventurer and has seen some of nature's bounty its beauty and of course some of the very dramatic changes caused by a rapidly changing climate well he's my guest today on on target hello wayne hello linda how are you great so i guess for starters tell us a little bit about yourself well, as you said, I grew up in you know an isolated community up in north coast of Labrador, Makovic. And I've always, growing up, I've always been very adventurous and love being out on the land and, and just exploring new things. And yeah, at a certain age, you get that urge to go. And I went and never really looked back. And uh, yeah, as you said, I've been to many, a lot of uh, great many places that, he could only dream of by by just deciding to get up and go and and follow my heart, follow my dreams. So, how did you get started in all of this? How does a a boy from Makovic get involved in adventure tourism? Where did you start? Well, I was oddly enough, I was working at the exploration mine, a uranium uh, mine inside Postville there for quite a few years, managing and. Uh, working with the camp in there. And then when the moratorium hit, I guess uh, Tongat Mountains was looking for a camp manager. So they uh, asked if I'd be interested. And yeah, so I did that. And then from that, it led to another thing and led to another. And before you know it, I'm down in Antarctica. You know, it's just uh, it's pretty crazy. You have to shake your head sometimes, I'm sure. Oh, most certainly. It's... Uh, yeah, recently I just came back from the Arctic and I had a, a spat of the COVID, so I was in isolation for seven days. And it gave me a great time to go through all my years and years and years of photos that I've never really had the time to do. So it was quite, I guess, looking back to where I started and how I started, it was, it was if you think about it, it's pretty amazing where you've gone and, and, and how you even got to where you are. It's, it's, yeah, it was pretty cool. Reliving those adventures, no doubt. Yes, many adventures. Many, again, I completely forgot about. And yeah, it's just, they all seem to roll into one, but it's been pretty impressive ride so far. Well, for sure. And, and you started, you say, in the Torngout Mountains. Now, is there a more beautiful place on Earth? Oh, that place uh, still has a huge uh, hold on my heart for sure and uh, yeah I'd love to get back up to that place it's funny I received a, a FaceTime from a friend that you know I haven't spoken to in seven or eight years and he out of the blue uh, FaceTime last night about the torn gas so it's that once you get up there that, that place truly is an authentic Inuit experience and it, it grabs hold of your heart for sure and of course you no doubt probably have some long-standing connections to get there going way back 
Yes, most certainly. So that lots of you know, it's great to see that it's still one of the only national parks in Canada that has you know 100% Aboriginal people, and it's yeah, no, it's an amazing, amazing place and amazing people. So you you work currently with a company called Cork Expeditions. What is that? Uh, they're based out of Toronto, and basically, again, it's a expedition cruise ship. That uh, again, I just came back from Svalbard up in Norway. It's uh, seven weeks there. I'm home now for three weeks, and then I go back to uh, Iceland and Greenland for two months. And, and they, then, they specialize and then in these Arctic or Antarctic kind of experiences? Yep. Yeah, they don't do anywhere else, just the two poles. So then in uh, November, then the Antarctic seasons starts up until March. So, you know, I'll be heading back then to the Antarctic. So I guess you're just going back and forth between the two poles. It's amazing. You're you're actually globe trotting. Yeah, yeah. And up until the pandemic, you know, I didn't really have anything, so I just had my backpack. I worked in the Antarctic for five months of the year. Come out in March, I travel the world, and get ready. I do the Arctic for four months, travel the world, go back to the end, and that's all I did for four years. Just amazing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the places where you've been and some of the experiences you've had. Will we come back after the break? My guest today on on Target is uh, Inuit adventurer, guide, I don't know, traveler, world traveler, globetrotter, Wayne Broomfield of Makovic. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at one on your VOCM. And we're back. We're speaking with Wayne Broomfield, uh, who is uh, into the adventure tourism thing. And uh, Wayne, you've been going back and forth between the Arctic and the Antarctic, taking people on guided tours and taking pictures along the way, as you just mentioned. Um, what are some of your favorite places? Uh, well, I get that question asked a lot of, of uh, visitors on the ship, like between the two poles, what's your favorite? And it's it's very difficult to answer, but I mean, South Georgia is is just mind blowing. You're seeing the millions and millions of of penguins, you know, as you as you're seeing on the uh, David Attenborough series. You know, to, to go and visit many of the places that these were filmed is pretty pretty special. But I always, for me, it's the Arctic. The Arctic is, is always has a place in my heart. I like to think that the Arctic holds its secrets much more closer because, I mean, you go to the Antarctic, yes, it's absolutely mind-blowing, but it's you're going there to see it, and it's there. Whereas in the Arctic, you could spend days looking for that, that polar bear, and when you see it, it's much more special because you're looking for it. Everyone is looking for it, and when you see it, yeah. So the Arctic has a, a much special place in my heart for sure. And it's not just uh, polar bears, of course, that uh, we talk about. And Labrador actually has a pretty healthy polar bear population from what I understand compared to some other parts of the world. Uh, um, where is the best polar bear viewing, I suppose? Uh, I mean, obviously Churchill. I mean, again, as you said, Labrador is getting, we're getting a lot more bears come further south. You know, even getting bears on the island now, which is a lot, you're getting a lot more of, which is a bit scary. Uh, Svalbard, where I just came from, is 
you know, they announced themselves as one of the polar bear capitals of the uh, Arctic <laughs> archipelago of the uh, of Spitsbergen in there. But uh, yeah, so depending on the area you want to go, it's the amount of money you want to spend. Obviously, is a huge factor when you're getting up to the north. So it's but you can't go wrong with uh, with Churchill or even up in northern Labrador to see polar bears. And you've seen some of the the world's biggest walrus colonies as well. Yeah, it's uh, just again coming back from uh, Svalbard there over to White Island, which is one of the most amazing places that you can ever see for walrus. There's just literally thousands and thousands everywhere, just in the water, on the ice, on the land. It's pretty amazing. Just to turn off your water, turn off your zodiac, sit on the water and just watch and listen to the sounds of thousands and thousands of walrus. It's pretty, pretty special. And absolutely massive creatures, like we saw the one in um, Middle Cove Beach recently. I think people really, you know, you see them on TV, you don't really get an appreciation for just how massive these creatures are until you see one in real life. No, exactly. And, and again, that one, to me, again, was a very unhealthy, smaller uh, walrus that uh, yeah you see the big healthy ones it's just twice the size of that so it's there are massive massive creatures are they dangerous oh they can be yes especially if they have their young uh, you know they're very protective uh, in the water they're great swimmers you know that's why again we always give the walleye the utmost respect and distance so it's yeah but they can be very dangerous do these types of expeditions, do they cause the animals any stress? Or, I mean, are you far enough away so that they're like, oh, what's that out there? Okay, whatever. <laughs> or or do people have that tendency to say, can we get a little closer? No, they, uh, it, they, the guests that we get, you know, they're well briefed of what we can do, what we can't do as, as guides. And, you know, we're watched. Everyone, everything is on film today. So, you know, we have to follow the rules and regulations in keeping the distance so that we're not disturbing those animals. Now, they can come to you, but we can't go to them. Are the rules different in different locations? No, no, not really. We follow sort of, uh, you know, uh, IATO rules and regulations. That's pretty much well observed throughout the whole Arctic through all the different cruise operators. And and it's uh, to do a landing, you actually have to make a reservation to land at a certain place. You can't just go there. So it's it's all to help protect the uh, to protect the wildlife so that they're not being overburdened by too many ships in one day or too many people at one time. So it's it's very well uh, respected when it comes to the rules and regulations on what you can and can't do with the wildlife. Do you see many whales? Not this year we haven't seen many whales uh we had some good encounters with some blue whales which is obviously very amazing but uh whales are just starting to get over that way now now when i get to greenland uh in three weeks there'll be loads of whales so how does the experience differ let's say from uh norway or iceland to greenland to labrador Oh, totally different experience. I mean, when you when you just came from Svalbard, and that's all more about uh, wildlife. You know, people really go there to, to see the polar bears. That's their main thing that they want to see is the, is the polar bears. 
as you come over to Greenland and Labrador through the Northwest Passage, I mean, you, you still get the wildlife, but it's more about the uh, Inuit communities as well, making a connection, knowing and understanding the history, following Franklin's footsteps, so you get a lot more uh, beautiful history as well on the Franklin expedition, you know, see where they've been, see visit the grave sites. It's a more powerful and humbling experience, I find, knowing that you're f- tracing the uh, footsteps of these early explorers. And people who no doubt really were out of their element in many ways. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And just to and just to see these areas and, and see remnants of where they lived, it's, it's pretty powerful. And how hard some of them fought to survive. Oh, yes. I mean, you can't even imagine. You look at the landscape alone, and you're only ashore for, you know, maybe two or three hours. And in these harsh, windy, snowy conditions, like in the summer, and you had good gear on, and you think about these guys hundreds of years ago. Yeah, they didn't have the gear that we had, the food that we had, the comforts that we had. It gives you a a lot more respect for uh, what they did. And no doubt the conditions are somewhat different as well. Conditions, yes, very much so. The years that I've been doing this, it's every year, it's just so different from year to year. I mean, you can try and get through the Northwest Passage and not see a piece of ice. The next year, you can't get through. It's just, uh, even in this year in Svalbard, our first two months, the weather every day was almost 16 degrees in May and June. And for them, that's like July, August weather. So it's changing ever so much. Does it frighten you? Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean, you're talking 16 degrees, and you go back to an area where you were on the ice four days later, and there's no ice. There's no fast ice. It's very scary. What does seeing that firsthand mean to you and, and, and the information that you're passing along, not only to your guests, but, you know, back to your family? Well, that, uh, you know, global climate change is definitely uh, a real thing, and it's something that, unfortunately, we can't do to change it, as it's happening elsewhere in the world, but we're the ones being the most affected by it. And, you know, I do a, I do a talk on the ship about Inuit adaptation and climate change and how uh, we as Inuit, the people of the north, are being affected the most with the simplest of things of the ice. You know, even though we have over 200 words to describe ice, you know, it's ice is getting harder for experienced Inuit to read, understand, uh, because of these warming temperatures and warming waters. It's, it, it is quite scary. You say interpret, and that's so key, isn't it? Uh, because it's life or death, knowing what the ice is and how it's going to behave. Oh, 100%. You know, and if you don't uh, feel safe, I mean, you're obviously not going to go where you want to go or need to go, perhaps. And just even things, you're hearing stories of Arctic char now being caught in the spring of the year through the ice that still got their spawn in them. It's, you know, that's unheard of. So how is that going to have effects down the road, you know, for the fish stocks, for the char stocks? It's, it's 
still a lot of uh, many unknowns of, uh, of climate change and how it's affecting us. Do you see the same impacts uh, in a- Antarctica? Yes, very much so. It's uh, again every year you're seeing bigger. I mean, the, the icebergs that you see down there. I mean, they what we have here don't even compare to what's down that way with, with regards to the size. And you're seeing more and more huge chunks of these uh, icebergs breaking off the continental shelf. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. And Greenland, of course, which was wholly covered by glaciers. What's it like there now? Yeah, and again, just to see into Sisinut and seeing the how much uh, ice is coming out of that glacier, it's uh, pretty surreal to even think about how much ice can actually move from that glacier out into the ocean. I mean, you could be sitting there in the morning and looking at clear... Uh, a clear ocean, and later that evening, it could be just literally filled with massive, massive icebergs that are uh, coming off the glacier. It's absolutely insane to to, to see the uh, the calvings up there when you're at these glaciers. What does I mean? What kind of a feeling does that leave you with? Uh, mixed feeling, to be honest with you. Mixed feeling that you know, should we be here? Should we be doing what we're doing? Are we contributing anything to this cause so it does give you a mixed feeling about you know tourism in, in the arctic and and uh yeah it definitely plays on you into what you're doing or you, you know you're bringing people here so yeah I, I still struggle with that one to be honest with you and, and yet there's still an important element, I would imagine, in educating people and letting people see it, because let's be honest, we're, we're all human, we're all the same thing. It's one thing to be told something, it's a whole other thing to see it. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that's one thing that we, uh, the staff, we all try and do. We all give lectures and talks uh, as well. And I do a lot on, on Inuit and the effects of climate change. And it's amazing the people that come up to you and, and thank you and you know they were completely unaware of the impact that it has and, you know and every I guess every little person going away doing one thing you know will help but so yeah it, it's a unique thing to be doing what I'm doing for sure I don't think there's many other or I don't even know if there's any other Inuit that truly works you know full time in both poles and it's it's rewarding but yes, it's also looking back at it, is it the right thing? So it is a struggle without a doubt. Well, you speak about both poles, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, the experience of traveling to the South Pole, which very few people get an opportunity to do, but you do regularly. I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back right after this. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And we're back. My guest today on On Target is Wayne Broomfield. He's an expert 
expedition guide adventurer. He travels pole to pole on a regular basis. And Wayne, you've been talking a little bit about climate change and uh, what you're seeing with your own eyes and what your guests are seeing, um, which has to be frightening in many ways. But uh, there's some eye-opening, I guess, experiences there as well in getting to travel to the South Pole. What are some of the differences there? What really stands out for you? Again, just the magnitude of everything down in Antarctica. It's just from the size of the icebergs. I mean, we sail 22 nautical miles past one of them. And again, the multitude of the animals, the, the penguins, the whales. It's truly is absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing just to get down to Antarctica and... Uh, yeah, see that landscape, land on the continent. It's a, it's a, it really is out of the world. Tell us a little bit about the penguins. Oh my, they're uh, a lot smaller. I, I had a very short notice when I first got offered this job with Quark. Uh, I didn't have much time. It was just before Christmas, and I had quit my job up on up in Baffin Island. I was up living in Iqaluit for two years, doing tourism up that way. And I gave it up my job not knowing what I was going to do. But then I had a call stating that, you know, we heard you quit your job and would you like to come to work with us? And I was like, sure, yeah, where? They said, well, we'd like you down in the Antarctica. Oh, never been there. I was totally blown away and excited by it. And I said, well, when would you need me? They said, well, next week. And this was, so I left uh, Christmas Eve, actually. And uh, I said, like, well, I got a lot to learn. Um, penguins, so I did a lot of studying and reading. But one thing that really blew me away with was the size of them. I was expecting something bigger, so they're quite small, very loud, very smelly, but absolutely adorable. Absolutely adorable. Beautiful little creatures. And what kind of uh, species are we talking about? Because there's a, a wide variety. Yeah, down there we have the Gentoos, we have the the chin straps are my favorite. Uh, yeah, their chin straps are literally have a little chin strap, and they are yeah they are my favorite. I've never heard of them. Yeah, they're be- beautiful. You have to check out my Instagram page, and you have to see lots of different pictures of the chin straps. But yeah, they're especially with the little chicks, and it's just yeah, absolutely never get tired of seeing them. So, do you get to see many of the emperors or the the larger birds? Uh, kings, we get a lot of kings in South Georgia. Uh, and again, South Georgia is another area that's just completely off this planet. Uh, I've only ever seen one emperor, uh, luckily enough. But yeah, no, you have to go a bit further south, and it's a it's a helicopter ride, and I haven't done that trip yet. What are the waters like down there? Are they dangerous? Uh, well, we do get the leopard seals. Uh, we're getting a lot, a lot more orca. Of course, the Drake Passage itself is the one, the infamous Drake Passage, known as one of the worst passages in the world. And she can get pretty, she can get pretty rough. And it's a two-day crossing. So, but once you're down there, we do get a lot of these catabatic winds coming off the glaciers and the mountains, which can be quite dangerous. But other than that, it's usually calm and peaceful with loads of whales and orcas and. Just Le- beating of wildlife, yes. 
For sure. And leopard seals, how do they differ from the seals you're familiar with? Well, very sharp teeth. They're, they're huge. They eat, they eat the penguins. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to see, you know, times you'll get the, a penguin actually jumping your zodiac because they're trying to flee from a leopard seal. And it's, uh, but yeah, they're very dangerous, very dangerous seals. Claws are very sharp on them, and they can actually, they actually eat another seal. They're, they're pretty impressive. I remember seeing for the first time a, a, a leopard seal in action on a, a, a nature program, of course, but never realizing just the, the sheer size of these things and just how monstrous they are. They're, they're like a dinosaur, really. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, you know, it's hard to tell scale when you're watching them on the TV, but when you see them underneath your zodiac chasing after a penguin, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive to watch. So are they the biggest predator in Antarctic waters? Yeah, I'd say they are. Yeah, I'd say they are. Well, the orca, orca are down there. They're, they're bigger. And we're, getting, we're seeing a lot more orcas uh, in Antarctica for sure. What are orca numbers like in the, in the South Atlantic? I don't think they have a real uh, count. Every year is different. But, I mean, we'll see several hundred on, you know, on trips depending on where you go. But yeah, they're getting a lot more orca for sure. Do they differ from orca in these waters? Nope. You know, some of them are the same. They'll get to type B and type A, but uh, some of them will, will travel down from South America and they come down to feed in the summertime. Same as the, uh, same as the other birds, the whales. You know, everyone goes down south to feed and or, uh, orcas will do the same and come back up in the wintertime. Any big surprises? Any creatures that I guess shouldn't have been where you were seeing them? No, we're not in the Antarctic. Uh, you know, we've seen some things in the Arctic this year that, you know, seeing chicks very early. That that's way too early in the in the year. Uh, we've seen some uh, geese, uh, barnacle geese. You know, over 80 degrees north up on the in the ice edge. We didn't know what he was doing up there. So every now and then you see something that's a bit weird. And is that primarily due to, I guess, um, winds bringing in strays, or is it something else happening? Uh, it's wind, wind bringing in, bringing in strays for sure. Good for birders, I guess. <laughs> yes, great for birders, without a doubt. Unfortunately, I, I know some birds, but I wouldn't call myself a birder by no means. Maybe not so good for the barnacle goose. No. <laughs> um, uh, so what kind of um, other animals do you tend to see? Uh, I'm thinking land and and ocean. Uh, fox, that sort of thing? Yeah, we get a lot of Arctic fox. We get a lot of uh, over in uh, Norway, they call them, to get the reindeer. They're a bit different than our caribou. Obviously, lots of uh, polar bears. Uh, we get the walrus. Again, we've had some blue whales, different types of seals. You know, you get the harbor seals, the bearded seal, the ring seal, and quite a lot of different bird life. Again, great for birders. Wolves? No, not over that way. In the Canadian Arctic, uh, we'll, we'll get wolves for sure. But nothing, they don't have wolves over in uh, Svalbard. 
Are they seeing the same kind of thing uh, in northern Europe and Siberia as we're seeing here in terms of uh, caribou numbers? Uh, how are the reindeer doing? Reindeer over there are doing very well. Rain, their reindeer levels are uh, are coming back up. Their walrus uh, populations are coming back since they banned hunting. So the walrus numbers are, are getting very good again. And yeah, so they don't have that issue with the uh, with the reindeer or uh, other species as you know they put a lot of hunting bans on, and so it's, it's starting to come back. And what's the situation here? Are you noticing any changes or differences in in our caribou herds? No, I haven't. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been home in several years. But in talking to my friends, or you know, those numbers still aren't the greatest. You'll see a few around, but. I don't think we'll ever see those numbers the way that we did have them, unfortunately. Another story, I suppose, like the northern cod in some ways. Yes, without a doubt. And, you know, I mean, up in the Torngats now, like the Arctic willow is growing so fast as well that it, it's covering out a lot of the underlying bush. So I'm not sure how much that's having effect on the caribou feeding and and is that a direct result, I suppose, of the fact that there are fewer caribou out there grazing? I think it's just the more warming summers as well allow things to grow a lot faster. So I think the warmer temperatures, the longer summer season, you know, uh, is allow, allowing things to grow faster and quicker. So I mean, growing up in Makovic, I mean, we used to be May, you know, kilometers and kilometers out onto the Atlantic Ocean on, on Snowmobile in May still, you know, hunting seals. No, you're lucky if you can get out around the harbor because it's not froze up. Any areas where there's still fairly abundant sea ice or is it shifting and changing all the time? Uh, it's shifting and changing all the time. You know, I was fortunate enough to have worked on a a film with National Geographic up in the Arctic. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Last Ice. And we were, we were shooting the area in Lancaster Sound area by Pond Inlet is where the supposedly the last, last Arctic ice will be in the Arctic. So that was pretty interesting to see as to how every year the ice is uh, changing. You know, this year won't be, may not be as much first-year ice next year it's all second year ice it's 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 pretty amazing to see that nothing is really consistent anymore whereas one time you know come november everything is frozen that was it you were frozen until this summertime but now it's you're getting more and more open water you know as i said ice is harder to read it's getting quite different what kind of an impact is that having on on towns like Mikulvik and Nain and, and, the, and the people who live there? You know, you got, you got to find alternate routes. Uh, you might, you know, with the price of fuel today, you might have to take more fuel with you. Because uh, once you get to where you're going, you may not actually be able to get back the same way. Uh, even getting to where you want to go is becoming more and more challenging. Again, with the ice and lack of snow on the land in years, and next year is too much snow. Got to make you mean means that you got to be much more adaptable, I guess, and it's not just a straightforward trip as it once used to be. So culture is changing. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. I have uh, my own personal view of that is not it's totally changing. 
and are 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 the people of Makovic and Nain and and Inuit to you know worldwide adjusting uh, to those changes? I mean, you haven't survived for thousands of years without being adaptable. No, for sure, and I think that's what makes uh, the Inuit such great hunters and pe- people who know and understand the land is because you know it's what we do, it's who we are, it makes up it makes up us who we are, and uh, yeah, you have to adapt and you have to you know grow and take things as as it is and, and work the way you got to do to get around it to still need to do what you want to do. You know, it's. Yeah, you know, they're very uh, adaptable people. My guest today on On Target is Wayne Broomfield, uh, adventurer and tour guide. Um, we'll be back right after this. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're having a conversation today with Wayne Broomfield, who is a a tourism adventurer guide. (laughs) You've been traveling from pole to pole, taking people around this world and showing them some of the wonderful uh, beauty and uh, some of the concerning changes that are happening. And... um, Wayne, as a Inuit from um, Makovic, I mean, obviously, indigenous tourism is really turning into uh, a big thing in Canada, in particular. Yes, it most certainly has. You know that uh, started a few years ago, and it's great to see that uh, it's still continuing, and that Inuit in the communities themselves are embracing it, and uh, yeah, wanting to be a part of it. So, is it is it making a difference in some communities as well? Yes, I think so. I've, you know, I've been to some of the communities in the north where, you know, they are they enjoy sharing their story, who they are, what they are. Uh, some people are looking at it as, oh, they're just putting on a performance. They're not putting on a performance. They're sharing their traditions and values with people who have, you know, never knew anything really about the Inuit and the culture. So I think they're taking a lot of pride and pride in doing that and sharing that tradition and that value. And it's really important, I think, for a lot of people to have that authentic uh, type of experience rather than some kind of Disney type, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, you know, like you say, putting on a performance or doing a show or those kinds of things. Pe- people are a lot more educated these days and want an authentic experience. Yes, totally. Uh, and again, I think you know everything that I've been through so far and seen uh, when it comes to the authentic. That's what the guests take away the most. Uh, again, you know, I do talks on the ship, and a lot of people just go up there. I want to see the bears. They, they got a, a checkoff list, and on that checkoff list, list, there's nothing about you know the Inuit culture or who are the Inuit people and when they leave, we get so many comments about how, you know, they had no idea. And that's the biggest thing that they'll take away with them is the Inuit, the people, the communities, the culture, their sense of laughter and sharing and just enjoying what they do. So I think I think that's always pretty special when that wasn't even on the, the checklist, you know, when they, when they come north. And that's really what it's all about, though, isn't it? It's about making those connections uh, with people. And we hear that all the time in this province about um, tourism here, is is people always walk away and say, well, who's the people? It, it, that's what makes the difference. Yeah, exactly. 100%. The people make 
people make the experience. And if it's not authentic, it's just another whale watching trip or, you know, it's, yeah, you get to tick off that box, but you're not getting an experience. You're just doing it to tick off a box. And we see those people as well. And, and that's fine. You know, everyone is different. Everyone has their own way. And you can let that person tick off their box and that'll make them perfectly happy. I'm happy. But for one who wants to sit down with you and talk about your culture, your history, it's, yeah, those are the ones who, who get the true, real uh, experience when you visit the Arctic. Have you made some lasting friendships through all of this? Oh, so many friends. So many friends. Like I said, in the, the in the four years when I didn't really live anywhere, people would invite me on the cruises to go come and stay with them. And that's all I did. You know, I went from Florida to New York to Hong Kong to Singapore to Vietnam. And every place I went, I stayed with people I met on the ship. And, it's, and they give you a true uh, experience. You're not doing the touristy thing. You're, you know, you're you're meeting their their home, their community, and it's, uh, yeah. So I, I get it when you talk about the authentic experience because, again, I most certainly get that when I visit with people that I've met on the ship. So it's reciprocal. It's not just you providing this experience to your guests, but your guests also giving something back to you. Oh, 100%. And it's that's what I really enjoy about this job. It's not everyone that offers you that, but the ones that are really uh, are happy with, you know, who they are, where they are, they're the ones who want to share that experience as well with you, which is, again, a pretty unique experience. And, yeah, I've met some great friends years and years ago and still chat with them. And so, it, yeah, you, you truly make a connection. You mentioned off the top that, uh, you know, as a, a young man, you got that itch. You got that itch to wander. And there's a lot of people like yourself uh, who are the same. Do you, do you ever, though, wish you could just settle down and sit down for a little while and just take it in, like go home and just put your feet up for a bit? I'm doing that now, and the legs are starting to wander again. So it's... uh. Yeah, it it is a, a challenging job because you're like I said, you are seven days a week for five months straight, and you do need a break when you get off. But then it's it's just in you, it's built in you. It's something that you you got to go, you got to do. So these two past two years have been really difficult in you know being in one place. It's the longest I've been in one place for oh many years. But yeah, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood, and you just enjoy sharing and knowledge and being explained the land, explained the wildlife to people that it's their dream to go and see. How has COVID changed what you do? Uh, very much. I mean, uh, it's not uh, it's not the same on the ships anymore. It's uh, you can't do that interaction. Uh, you can't have that one-on-one interaction, which is uh, you know which is too bad, but that's just the way the rules are now, and COVID is, COVID is not going anywhere. So, again, you adapt. You make things work the best you can with what you have. Yeah, it's not the same as uh, being able to sit down over a cup of tea and a couple of crackers and just uh, having a yarn about whatever. No, exactly, especially with people coming from all over the world with different strains. and It's, yeah, but... 
you know, they still have a great experience and we still communicate just in a different way. So you managed to pick it up yourself? Yes, unfortunately, on this, my last voyage, I got it. Uh, so it's not fun being in a little cabin with no internet and TV for seven days, but got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. You made it through, though. You, how are you feeling? Yeah, I still got the effects of it, but it's uh, feel a lot better. But again, I gave me a great opportunity to go through seven years of photos. So, yeah, it was great, to, great to do. Great to have that time to go through everything that I've had, and you know, great memories, and so start piecing it all together where I've been over the past seven, eight years. So your legs are itching again now. Where are you off to next? Uh, leaving the Texas to go on a first ever cruise in two days. Going down south to the warm. Is that right? So what's that going to be like for you? I don't know. I'll probably want to try and go to the bridge. That's where I normally spend my time, but I don't think they'll allow me. But yeah, it'll be different on, on, a, on a cruise ship, but see how it works. So how is it being a tour guide and then going on a trip, a personal trip yourself? Do you find that you you kind of get into a work mode where you're saying, oh, hmm, they're doing that right. They're not doing that right. Uh, I am going to pick up some of their tips. I'm going to, wow, that person is really bad at that. <laughs> you know, like, do you find that your, your brain is always going like that? Oh, very much so. I'll uh, definitely be doing lots of analyzing and try and pick up a few things where I can or but that yeah that part of me doesn't really shut off no matter what I'm doing and that's why I couldn't remain silent when that walrus came up on the beach in Middle Cove because it's you know that's just built in you know that's yeah you you care about things so you got to speak up and on on that uh, walrus and apparently it was identified as the same one that's sort of been hanging around the general area for the last oh, six or eight months I suppose so uh, what are your thoughts on that you've seen plenty of walrus to know you've studied the animals what what do you think that one I've seen that day was definitely a very sick or unhealthy animal a mammal I mean she didn't have much fat on her uh, you know, the in shallow waters, you know, they eat a lot of mussels and uh, clams and that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, to me, that was definitely not a not a healthy-looking mammal at all. But I'm glad to hear that he or she are still around and surviving. So is there enough for them to eat around here? I mean, Newfoundland used to have a, a southern walrus population. Uh, certainly there has to be enough food around, or is there something that might be preventing this animal from feeding like it should? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm curious as to how he got to there. I don't know if he came in on the ice floe, or, but again, they, they need you know, the uh, eat more in shallow waters. So there should be lots of mussels not around for, for him to eat. It's only himself, so he should have a... Good pickings if you can find a good spot with all the uh, all the food that he's looking for. And if that walrus happens to still be around and uh, hauls itself up somewhere and attracts a bit of attention, as someone who works with walrus and takes people out to see them, uh, what should people keep in mind? Just respect the animal. Respect. Give respect for the mammal. You know, it's. I mean, he's hauled it for a reason. He's either not well. Or he's full and he wants to rest, and they need to rest. 
And, you know, if it's just disturbed, he's not going to get that. And it's just, again, it's just have respect for that mammal. Give it the space. Be quiet. Don't disturb it. He's hollered for a reason. You know, if you're in your bed, you don't want to be disturbed. Or So, again, just just give it respect. Wayne, this has been a fascinating conversation. Any final thoughts? No. Uh, for anyone out there who's interested in this kind of thing, you know, check into it. It's and it's most certainly a very rewarding career. It'll take you to places that uh, you know you can only dream of. And I'd highly recommend it if you're an outdoors person and enjoys nature, enjoys communicating with people. And why not give it a try? And uh, again, for me, it's a very rewarding career. Well, Wayne, uh, thank you very much for spending this uh, bit of time with us, telling us a little bit about your uh, wonderful adventures. And uh, listen, have a great time down south. I'll try. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be back tomorrow. You by now have no doubt heard a lot uh, about um, a local researcher who has been doing work on hereditary eye diseases and the links to uh, certain cancers. Well, we're going to hear from that very researcher tomorrow on On Target. You're going to want to hear this one. I really appreciate your time, everyone. Thanks for listening.